Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. Tonight we begin part two of our series on the miracles of Jesus. And we believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when we read about the supernatural works of God, the miracles, the signs and wonders that Jesus performed throughout his earthly ministry, it builds up faith within us. Amen. When you hear about the things that he did throughout his earthly ministry, and you know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, it ought to build up faith within your heart and within your spirit. And in the, in the four gospels, there are primarily 37 uh, miracles that are elaborated on. Now, this is not an exhaustive study, but mostly an overview where our goal is really to expound on several different miracles uh, each night. Otherwise, we would be here for about three years on this series. And I don't like when people do series for like three years um, because after a while, people are like, all right, time to switch up the subject. Uh, but on the first night, I taught on what a miracle is by definition, how a miracle, it is a wonder. It is a highly improbable or extraordinary event through divine intervention in human affairs. I'll say that again. It's a highly improbable or extraordinary event through divine intervention in human affairs. You could say it's an event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural power natural powers. In other words, it doesn't follow the usual laws of nature. You could say it like this, that it's unexplainable in the natural. And so if you can explain it in the natural, it's not a miracle. A true miracle by definition is something that goes beyond the natural. Have any of you ever experienced a miracle in your life when you were facing an impossible situation and there was absolutely nothing that you could do. There was nothing that others could do. They could only give you your, their sympathy, but you needed a miracle from God and you called upon God and God intervened in that situation and God did something extraordinary and he brought about a testimony in your life. And so we talked about how the purpose of miracles was to authenticate the performers of miracles, which is Jesus. If there are signs and wonders that are being performed that are not pointing people to Jesus, then that's a big red flag. Everything that Jesus did, all of the miracles that he performed throughout his earthly ministry was to authenticate that he was who he said he was, that he was Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, that he was the king of Israel, that he was the Messiah. And we talked about how every miracle that Jesus performed was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit and he was a perfect son of God and he was God in the flesh, then how much more do you and I need? need the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, greater works shall you do. Hallelujah. All of the supernatural and miraculous things that Jesus performed throughout his earthly ministry. And yet he said, greater things shall you do. And we did an overview of Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And as well, when he delivered the demoniac that was in the synagogue. And tonight, I would like to begin teaching on, on Jesus calming uh, the sea for the disciples. And I'd like for you to go with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 
35. Since we didn't have music tonight, I'm going to preach about two things tonight. I'm going to preach about Jesus, and I'm going to preach about an hour. Amen? Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. I'll read that again. On the same day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, let us cross over to the other side. Now we know that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh and therefore he was all knowing. And so when Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat and cross over to the other side, Jesus knew what they were about to go through. Jesus knew the storm that they were about to endure. Now I want to encourage you some of you, encourage some of you here tonight because some of you might be in a storm and some of you might be facing adverse circumstances and maybe you question and maybe you wonder if you stepped out of God's will or maybe uh, the enemy telling you that God forsook you and if God loved you, you wouldn't be going through what you're going through and you wouldn't be facing a storm. That's really not true. And I think it's important that when we're preaching the word of God that we're real with people. We don't preach a gospel that tells you that once you get saved, you're going to be tiny Tim tiptoeing through the tulips and you're never going to go through another hardship or another difficulty because that's not the word of God. That's not the Bible and we're going to be talking about it more here tonight. Jesus told them, let us cross over to the other side. But notice here, Jesus didn't call them to go through it alone. Jesus was going to be in the boat with them. And in verse 36, it says, now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the pillow. Now, I don't know for sure, but I think that was a my pillow right there. A little plug for my pillow. Go to mypillow.com, promo code Pastor Asher. You'll get buy one, get one free. Amen. Amen. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And so here they're questioning whether or not the Lord even cares. Don't we find ourselves in the same place when our faith is put to the test? Don't we find ourselves questioning and wondering, Lord, do you still care about me? Do you still care about the plan and the purpose for my life? They said, do you not care that we're perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. Hallelujah. Peace be still. And it says, and the wind ceased and there was a, a great calm. Now I want to tell you here tonight, Jesus is the master over your storm here tonight. No matter what storm you're facing, I think all of us to some degree are always in some kind of st storm and it can be emotional, it can be spiritual. We're always in uh, spiritual warfare and sometimes you can feel like all hell is broken loose around you. And I, I remember in, in uh, Bible college uh, that we would sometimes, you know, it used to be called World Evangelism Bible College. We called it Wilderness Experience Bible College because it seemed like pretty much every semester you were just, you felt like you were in a wilderness. 
Because when you're learning the word of God, when you're studying the word of God, it's got to go from your head to your heart. And the only way that can happen is through testing and trying and tribulation, where you learn to actually apply what you've learned to your heart, to where it's no longer that you're just talking about faith, but you're put in a situation where you actually have to believe God. It's one thing to put a life jacket on. It's another thing to be thrown into the sea and find out if that life jacket's going to keep you afloat. And so we will go through storms and we will go through trials and we will go through tribulations. The good news is, is that Jesus is more powerful than that storm that you're facing. And I believe that everything that we go through is either caused or allowed by God. That nothing we go through catches God by surprise. No attack from the enemy catches the, the Lord by surprise. The Bible says that Job had that the enemy in the book of Job went before the Lord and the Lord asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, but you've got a hedge built all the way around him. Satan was saying, I, I can't get through to him. You, you see, you've got a hedge built all the way around you tonight. As a child of God, there's a hedge of protection all around you. And so the Lord said that, 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 that Satan, he could uh, come against his health, could come against his finances, could come against his relationships, but he couldn't take his life and he couldn't take his faith. And aren't you thankful that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that God will raise up a standard against him, that the devil is on a leash here tonight. He can huff and he can puff, but he cannot blow your house down because Jesus is with you. He's with you when the storm clouds gather. He's with you when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise here tonight? And Jesus said to them in verse 40, he said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let me say this here tonight, that having Jesus in your boat will not prevent the storm from coming, but it will prevent your boat from sinking. I'll say that again. Having Jesus in your boat will not prevent the storm from coming, but it will prevent your boat from sinking. We will go through storms or we either just came out of one, we're going through one, or we're about to go through one. It's inevitable. It's a part of life. We go from storm to storm, test to test, trial to trial, tribulation to tribulation. But the good news here tonight is that Jesus is in your boat. First Peter chapter four and verse 12 says, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You know what's amazing is that when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a hardship, and you start talking and sharing with others about what you're going through, how many other people are going through the same thing? You know, the enemy wants you to think that you're the only one going through it. The enemy wants to think that you're going through life alone, that nobody, uh, nobody can relate to you. Nobody understands what you're going through. Can I encourage you to open up to some people and let you, let them know, don't be afraid uh, to find a confidant and share with them what kind of storm and trial you're going through. Cause it very well might be that they're going through the same exact thing. And we're here as a body, as a church, iron sharpens iron. And when you begin 
to share with other people what you're going through. You can be an encouragement. You can comfort one another. And I, I have found that so often with people that are going through depression and anxiety that people oftentimes that are facing depression and anxiety, they usually feel like they're the only one going through it. They usually feel like they're the only one experiencing it and nobody can understand, nobody can relate, but you would be shocked how many people out there are going through, not just out in the world, but in the church world that are going through feelings and emotions of anxiousness and depression. And it's a part of, it's a part of our makeup. And so be encouraged here tonight. You're not strange here tonight. You're not weird. Well, a couple of you out there, you might be weird, but in this sense, you're not strange. We all go through weird. No, I shouldn't say that here. <laughs> Some people are like, I'm being persecuted. No, you're just weird. You deserve to be persecuted. I'm just kidding. But just because you're going through a hardship, just because you're going through a trial, it doesn't make you strange. We're, we all go through difficulty. James chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of various kinds. Count it joy. I mean, it's one thing to bear through something. It's another thing to count it all joy. And it's not so much that you're happy that it's happening, but you're, you're joyful that the Lord is with you no matter what's happening. And you take joy in him no matter what's happening around you. You know, uh, some people say that things can't make you happy. Well, I actually beg to differ because that word happy actually speaks of what's happening. Is there anybody here who would not be happy if somebody walked up and gave you a million dollars? I think that would make you happy. But joy is something different. Joy is something that supersedes your circumstances. Whether you have a million dollars or you have ten dollars, if the Lord is with you, you can take joy in him that he's going to sustain you and he's going to provide for you and he can take care of you. I've been to some of the poorest nations of this world, but when you see the people of God, God has pro provided for them. God has supplied food and sustenance to them because God will always provide for his people. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. And so no matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstances are tonight, you can count it all joy because Jesus is with you. And let me say this here tonight. Everything is better with Jesus. Even trouble is better with Jesus. I would rather be in trouble with Jesus than be in trouble without Jesus. Because all of us, before we got saved, when we went through trouble and we didn't have the Lord to rely upon for strength and grace, we would resort to drugs. We would resort to alcohol. We would resort to relationships. And those things would just leave us emptier than we were before. But when you came to Jesus and you find yourself in hardship and you find yourself in difficulty, you have a refuge in the time of storm. You have somebody that you you can run to when you're going through the battle. You've got someone that's fighting on your behalf and he loves you tonight and he will sustain you. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. And that's why Paul would say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That same peace that Jesus spoke to that storm, peace be still. He can speak it over your mind tonight. 
He can speak it over your heart tonight. He can speak it over your spirit here tonight. If you feel like you're going through a storm, call on Jesus and Jesus can calm that storm in your life. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me, you might have peace in the world. You might have tribulation. Now it says in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, be of good cheer, be encouraged tonight. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because Jesus has already overcome the world. And if you are in him and he is in you, then you too will be an overcomer no matter what you're facing in this life here tonight. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. No matter what you're going through here tonight, God can turn it around and he can use it for the good and he can use it for his glory. Hallelujah. Now I'd like to talk tonight about when Jesus walked on water. You can go to Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away... He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I want to stop right there for a moment. It says that he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. It's so amazing to me that Jesus, who had a perfect relationship with the Father, perfect communion with the Father, had such a life of prayer. And if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to pray? And it's amazing here because it says that he went up by himself to pray. You know, ministry can be very consuming. Um, when you're in full-time ministry, ministry can totally and completely consume you where you're just so caught up in the busyness of ministry. And, you know, there's an acronym for busy being under Satan's yoke because too much busyness might not be a good thing. The more you do doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily a good thing. And sometimes in ministry, you can be so consumed with the things that have to be done that you neglect your personal communion and your personal relationship with the Lord. You know, I remember watching an interview with Billy Graham and Billy Graham was once asked the question. This was as he was in his nineties and, and they asked him the question, looking back on all of your time in ministry, is there anything that you would have done differently? And he said, yes. And the interviewer said, well, what's that? He said, I would not have taken so many speaking engagements because I was so busy going from here to there that I was neglecting my personal relationship with the Lord. He said, well, do you have any words of encouragement or recommendation for young evangelists? He said, whatever you do, do not neglect that personal relationship with Jesus because that is the very heartbeat of your ministry. You can be accomplishing so much seemingly for the kingdom of God and yet be just wandering from that personal relationship with Jesus. And I, I was in that place several years ago where I was in full-time evangelism. I was going from church to church, conference to conference, country to country. And I was just inundated with ministry. It was just one place to the next. And I experienced a season of burnout. And, you know, sometimes, especially on the mission field, people you know, 
I've worked with missionaries in other countries that are out there for, you know, six months at a time and they'll wake up early in the morning and it's just nonstop ministry until late at night. And, you know, oftentimes I would see that their own personal needs would be neglected, not getting enough sleep, not getting enough food. And they think, you know, this is a spiritual thing to do. You know, the more you do, I mean, this is a part of ministry. And that's actually a very dangerous place to be in because that's where you can really find yourself in a place of burnout. In fact, a lot of missionaries that go out on the mission field, believe it or not, after being gone for a while and they come back to the, the U.S., oftentimes go through seasons of depression as a result. And I think it's important to talk about those things when it comes to uh, mission work and ministry. But, you know, I was doing full-time ministry, and I, I remember the last place I wanted to be was from behind a pulpit. I remember I was on a beach down in uh, Destin, Florida, and it was my last day there. I was getting ready to leave. And I'll get back to our text here in a minute. But it was my last day there on the beach. And I was, I mean, I did not want to go on. And I was just so exhausted. And, and you know, sometimes in ministry, people can find their identity in what they do. Rather, they're uh, finding their identity in Christ. And so it just becomes a performance-based thing. And if they feel like they're underperforming in ministry, then they find themselves in a place of letdown and disappointment and depression. And so, you know, I was just in a place where I just, I just felt burnout. And there happened to be a youth pastor that was right next to me. And so, you know, sometimes when you run into people you don't know, it's easier to talk to them because you're probably never going to see them again in your life. You know, if sometimes the people you run into on the plane, you talk to and share with stuff that you probably wouldn't tell your best friends. You know, it feels like a counseling session, you know. But hey, you meet some, you build some good relationships. But you know, I remember I was on that, that beach and I, I just began to share with them what I was going through. And I told them, to be honest with you, the last place I want to be right now is from behind a pulpit. And you know, I had met up at that time. There's another former missionary that was there in the area. And, and he set up a lunch. The three of us met up for lunch. And, and I, I felt like that conversation just kind of realigned my thinking in ministry and mission work and, and evangelism. And really one of the things, the passages that God really used to speak to me was Mary and Martha. When the Bible says that you had Mary and you had Martha, and the Bible said that, that Martha, that she was uh, laboring and, and uh, you know, serving the Lord, it said that she was distracted with much serving. And those words really stuck up, stood out to me. She was distracted with much serving. In other words, she was distracted by her ministry. You know, ministry can be a distraction from your relationship with Jesus. And Jesus told Martha, he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, and it shall not be taken from her. Just simply sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his word. You know, sometimes you've got to drop what you're doing. You've got to drop all the activity. You've got to drop all the ministry and just sit at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus went alone. He went off by himself to pray. Sometimes you've got to come away from everything. Sometimes you've got to come away from everyone, and you've got to just seek the face of God. You don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to feel bad about it. You've got to prioritize your relationship with Jesus. And the greater the calling and the greater the extent that God is using you in, the more you need to pray and the more you need to set aside time to seek the face of God and to hear from God. And the Bible says that he went by himself to pray. 
We say it like this, that sometimes you have to come apart before you come apart. Sometimes you've got to come apart from everything before you come apart as an individual. When Jesus fed the 5,000 and he had the disciples feeding the 5,000, the Bible says that they came up to him and they started telling him all the things that they did and all the things that they taught. And Jesus said, come ye yourselves unto a desert place and rest a while. It says that they were so focused on serving the people that they themselves had not eaten and they themselves had not rested. And Jesus had to call them apart and have them rest. And so here's Jesus. He left, he left everybody. He went up on the mountain by himself. It says, now when the evening came, he was alone there. And it says this, um, I'm sorry. And it says now in the fourth watch of the night, if you go to verse 25, I'm actually missing verse 24. Go ahead and ver go to verse 24. Somehow I missed it in my notes. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Have you ever found in life that things can be going contrary to the way that you wanted them to go? Contrary to your desires? You feel like what's happening in your life is in direct opposition to, to your walk in direct opposition uh, to your desires. And it says now in verse 25, now in the fourth watch of the night, and this would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., it says that Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Again, they see him walking on the sea. It says that they were troubled, saying it is a ghost, and that they cried out for fear. Isn't it interesting that here they're afraid of the very thing that's going to deliver them? Could it be that the things and the trials that you're going through tonight that are causing fear and causing anxiety, could it be that that is a very situation that God is going to use to bring about something in your life? To bring about the plan and the purpose that he has for your life. It says that they cried out in fear. But it says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them. I love that word immediately. Because they called out to God and immediately Jesus spoke to them. Let me say this here tonight. When you call upon God, he will hear your prayers immediately. And he will respond to your prayers immediately. It may not be how you wanted him to. But I want you to know that your cries have awoken the master. I want you to know that God hears every prayer that you call on him with. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. So notice what's happening here. Jesus has called Peter out of the boat. For some of you right now, it's time for you to step out of the boat. It's time for you to step out into your calling. It's time for you to walk in what God has planned and destined for your life. Jesus calls him out of the boat. And it wasn't until he got his eyes off of Jesus and onto his circumstances that he began to sink. You see, it's the same way with us. When we take our eyes off of Jesus... 
and we start to focus on what's happening around us, maybe it's your situations at home, maybe it's personal circumstances that you're going through, financial situations, hardships that you're going through. When we, when we start focusing on our circumstances and the storm and the waves around us, then what happens is that we begin to sink. You know, I remember it was in a similar time frame when I went through a very low season of discouragement. I remember I was staying in a hotel room and I flipped on Sunlight Broadcasting Network and a friend of mine was preaching a message there entitled, Peter didn't sink. Peter didn't sink. And those words stuck with me. Peter didn't sink. Even though Peter found himself in this season of doubt, and he was getting his eyes on his circumstances. Ultimately, Peter didn't say, I love the song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. And it says here in, be in beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord. Lord, save me. And again, immediately, I love that. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. You see, God is not slow to answering your call for help. And I want you to know tonight, no matter what you're facing, help is on the way. If you will call on his name, if you will call on the name of Jesus, no matter what you're facing in your life, no matter how the storm might look, all you've got to do is call on Jesus and help is on the way. I'm going to say that again. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. Help Help is on the way. Help is on the way. No matter what you're facing here tonight, help is on the way because Jesus is stretching out his hand to you here tonight. Hallelujah. In the middle of your drowning, in the middle of your storm, Jesus is stretching out his hand to you. And let me tell you here tonight, you're not too low for God to reach you. You're not too far out of his reach. He's stretching his hand. You might say, well, you don't know how low I am tonight. You might say, well, I got needle tracks up and down my arms. He's stretching out his hand here tonight. You might be an alcoholic here tonight. He's stretching out his hand to you. You might be bound by depression and despair. He's stretching out his hand to you. And help is on the way here to you tonight. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. And Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those that were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. I love that. Truly, you are the son of God. This was a miracle. This was God intervening, intervening in an extraordinary way, in a way that could not be explained with natural reasoning. And they said, truly, you are the son of God. Everything that Jesus did pointed to the fact that he was the son of God. 
I love the song that says, you wonder why I'm smiling through the thunder. And you wonder why my soul feels no alarm. There's an unseen hand guiding my vessel. And he's my harbor in a time of storm. You wonder why I'm smiling. You wonder why I'm happy no matter what's happening. You wonder why you can have joy when hell is breaking loose around you. It's because you've got a harbor in the time of storm. You've got help no matter what you're going through tonight. And he will will never leave you nor forsake you. He will bring you through. Hallelujah. Romans 8 and verse 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Hallelujah. Or revealed in us. What you're going through tonight cannot compare to the glory which will be revealed in us. Everything that we face ultimately is for the purpose of God's glory being revealed in us. And no matter how disheartening it might be right now, God, he has a purpose. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And it says, God is faithful. God is faithful. I'm going to stay on that here tonight. God is faithful. No matter what you're facing here tonight, God is faithful. Hallelujah. He will not fail you. He will come through. God is faithful and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Hallelujah. That you may be able to bear it. No matter what you're facing tonight, God is faithful to help you so that you can bear it tonight. I, I love Psalm 34 and verse 19 that says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. But what about this? What about that affliction? You don't know what I'm facing. Well, the Lord said that he delivers him, and that word him applies to her as well. Uh, I won't go there with the whole pronoun conversation tonight. I'll leave that alone for another night. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Every single one without the exception of any. Now tonight I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. There's a powerful story here. When Jesus heals the paralytic. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Now, I love that phrase right there. And it was heard that he was in, I think I'm going to preach a message on that someday. And it was heard that he was in the house. You know, I hope that's the testimony of our church that people hear that Jesus is in the house. <laughs> you see, it's time for the body of Christ 
to begin to rise up in what we have been called to do and establish a reputation once again. There should be a reputation of the church in every city. Come up, come on, somebody. Wherever there is a church of the living God, there should be a reputation in that city that causes hell to shake. People should sit back. If you don't want to get healed, don't go to that church. If you want to stay bound, don't go to that church. If you want to stay addicted, don't go to that church. If you want to live in darkness and depression, don't go to that church. If you want to have a broken down family, don't go to that church. Because if you go to that church, if you go to the house of God, freedom will come. Deliverance will come. Salvation will come. Breakthrough will come. Turnarounds will come. Divine reversals will come. And we need that type of reputation in the earth that we are the church triumphant. And if you believe that, give the Lord a shout of praise in this place tonight and I'll keep on moving. Hallelujah. It says that they heard that Jesus was in the house. They heard that Jesus showed up. It's one thing to hear about when a preacher is showing up. It's one thing to hear about when a singer or a musician shows up, but it's altogether different when you hear that Jesus has showed up. Hallelujah. You know, you know, when people leave this church, I don't want people to say, man, that was a powerful sermon. I want them to say, man, that was a powerful Jesus. Hallelujah. They heard that Jesus was in the house. Hallelujah. That's what we need. We need Jesus in the house. We need Jesus in the worship. We need Jesus in the preaching. Every time you walk in the doors of this church, we need Jesus to show up. Hallelujah. And he said, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. And they heard, I can't get, off, get away from that here tonight. And they heard that Jesus was in the house. Jesus is welcome in this house. Jesus is welcome every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every Elevate Youth Night. Jesus is welcome in the house because if you ain't got Jesus in your house, you got nothing to show up for. But when Jesus is in the house, miracles will happen. Lives will be changed. Hearts will be transformed by the power of God. They heard that he was in the house. Hallelujah. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is here. Glory to God. I hope when people come here, it's for one purpose. It's for Jesus. No matter how messed up, no matter how broken you are. And let me say this here tonight. We're not a religious church. We are a Jesus church. We're not a house of religion. We're a house for Jesus. We want Jesus to be welcome in this place. Jesus wasn't in the synagogue. Jesus was in the house. He wasn't hanging out with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He was with the messed up. He was with the, those that needed healing. Those that were broken. Jesus was in the house. Hallelujah. 
You know, when we speak of the house of God, the house of God, it, it's so much more than just a building. The house of God is you. You are the house of God. And when Jesus is in the house, anything can happen. You are a temple of the spirit of God. Don't you know that the spirit of God dwells inside of you? When Jesus is present, anything can happen. Hallelujah. And it says immediately, verse 2. Many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. You know, you, here you begin to see the draw that the presence of God had. The presence of Jesus had. When Jesus showed up, everyone heard and they said, we got to get there. They, they wanted a touch from Jesus. When people come here. I hope it's not for a preacher, a pastor, an evangelist. I hope it's for Jesus. It says immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And what's inter interesting here, it says, and he preached the word to them. You see, God's method has not changed. It says that Jesus preached the word to them. Can I encourage you here tonight? It's time to preach the word of God. It's time to declare the word of the Lord. It's the answer for the old and it's the answer for the young. You've got to preach the word of God. You've got to preach the full counsel from Genesis to Revelation. There are people that are lost and dying and on their way to hell. And there's only one thing that's going to bring hope. And it's the word of God. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Hallelujah. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he said, preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. In other words, be ready when it's convenient and be ready when it's not convenient. Preach the word, preach the word. He said, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. And they shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. And make full proof of your ministry. Preach the word. Preach the word. Paul said there's coming a time when people, they're not going to want to hear sound doctrine. They're going to want to have their, their ears tickled. And, and let me say this, the church needs to be built up and the church needs to be encouraged. But the gospel, it's, it's like a battery. You've got a negative and a positive. The negative is we're all messed up. We're all sinners. The positive is, is that Jesus overcame our sin and that through him we are more than conquerors. And so no matter what the sin is, no matter what the shortcoming is, there's hope for you here tonight. But you got to preach the full gospel. There's a negative and the positive. I believe that the positive should be emphasized even more than the negative. Pastor Gabe Swaggart was telling me that he came across somebody that was holding up a sign. For the wages of sin is death. That's all he had. For the wages of sin is death. But he's missing the most important part. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Because if you don't, if you leave that part out, then you're just preaching a message of condemnation. We got to preach on sin, but we've got to let people know that there's hope and we've got to preach with love and preach with grace and preach with mercy. I don't plan to preach on any of this here tonight, but you know, some people will say, well, no one's coming to church because they don't want to hear the truth. Well, is it because they don't want to hear the truth or is it because how the truth is being presented? Are you preaching the truth with love and com compassion? Because I believe that you can preach on the most convicting uh, topics in the word of God. And when you preach it with a sincere love and compassion for those people in a desire to see them walking with the Lord and you kill them with compassion, it's going to be hard not to listen. You know, I, I want to preach on the convicting things, but I want to preach on those things to where people know, hey, I'm not preaching this from a standpoint of, you know, we got it. You don't got it. No, I'm preaching it from, hey, we were all messed up and we still are messed up. And by the grace of God, we are who we are today. And God, he can pick you up and he can strengthen you and he can give you victory in your life. You got to preach from a true heart of compassion. In verse three, it says, then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. It says, when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. I love this here because these people were, were saying, I'm not letting anything keep me from getting to Jesus. I'm not allowing people or circumstances prevent me from coming to Jesus. This is the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for. Faith that says, though none go with me, still I will follow. Faith with tenacity, faith that doesn't quit, faith that finds a way to get to him. And it says here, when Jesus saw their faith. You know, what's amazing to, to me about this is, doesn't so much say that he saw the paralytic's faith. It says he saw their faith. The people that were getting the guy to Jesus. Let me ask you the question here tonight. What kind of people are you surrounding yourself with tonight? What kind of people are around you? Are they people of faith? Because if they're not people of faith, you can love them, they, but they probably shouldn't have a close place and position with your life because God's got a call and God's got a plan and God's got a purpose for your life. And sometimes the best thing you can do is cut off relationships with people that probably aren't there for your good. You might say, well, that's cold hearted. Well, it might sound cold hearted, but you got to protect the call of God that is upon your life. And I, I was thinking about this last night when I got saved and when I quit talking to a lot of my old friends that were selling drugs and alcoholics. And back then I didn't want to cut off those relationships and I didn't want to, you know, lose uh, the respect from them or whatever. And, and then, you know, once you get saved, you're like, why, why would I care what these people think? Because they're not living a life that I want to live. <laughs> They're not, they're not living in victory. They're bound by drugs, bound by alcohol. They're selling drugs. Why would I care uh, what they would think about my life? And I had to completely cut off relationships, change my cell phone number, and start from scratch. And then God surrounded me with people of faith, life, life, lifetime friends, lifelong friends who are believing God and there to support me and me to support them in the calling of God. And so you gotta, you really got to be careful who you surround yourself with. It says here that Jesus saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And I love, uh, well, I don't love this. So I just find it interesting. In verse six, it says, 
And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they were reasoning in their hearts. That's interesting. The word reasoning there, it carries the idea of questioning or debating it within their hearts. Doesn't the same thing happen today? When God does something powerful and supernatural, you got the religious crowd looking from the outside, questioning and debating it. Look, you can try to debate until you're blue in the face, but when Jesus shows up, all the debating gets thrown out the window, and what you've got is a real encounter with Jesus Christ. You can, you can take your debates and arguments somewhere else. We're here to find Jesus. We're here to touch the kingdom of God. We're here to touch the throne room of God. Hallelujah. They can reason all they want. They can debate. They can doubt, whatever the case. But you can't let the doubters keep you from getting to Jesus. Jesus, he doesn't work within the confines that the religious people put them in. And it says, but immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus with themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins and he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. As Eddie James sings it, he says, be healed, be healed. He said, arise, take up your bed, and go on to do the master's will. Be healed, be healed, be healed. And it says, immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Hallelujah. We've never seen anything like this. That's a good testimony to have in a house, in a church house. When people walk in the door and they say, we've never seen anything like this. All the shouting and praising and crazy spirit-filled Pentecostals praying in tongues. We ain't never seen anything like this. That's a good testimony to have. I'd rather them walk into church and say, we've never seen anything like this. Then them walk in the church and they say, well, that's what we saw at the Presbyterian church. Then that's what we saw at the Methodist church. And that's what we saw at the Baptist. No, I want them to walk into church and say, we ain't never seen anything like. You got people shouting and praising God in the middle of despair, in the middle of a hardship. You got lives being changed and transformed. You got young people serving Jesus when they could be strung out on drugs. I ain't never seen anything like this. Hallelujah. That's the kind of testimony that you want. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a song that says, now the word says the healer, he was passing by one day. There was a man who was afflicted, but he had the faith to say, if I can ever get to Jesus, my healing will, will be the proof. And if I can't get through the door, I'll tear off the roof because there is a healer in the house today. Now, if you're sick or you're feeling lonely, I'll have good news to bring for this healer. His name is Jesus. 
and he is the king of all kings. He rides of the wind of mercy, and there is healing in his wings. So take the roof off the doubts. Let your faith come on out, because there's a healer in this house today. There is a healer in the house today, and for you, he wants to make a way. So just ask and believe, and by faith receive. There is a healer in the house today. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise here tonight?